Welcome to Blockspaces Live, the podcast where we help real people solve real-world problems with blockchain and Web3. All our episodes are recorded live, which means you're welcome to attend yourself, to ask questions, and be a part of our community. To get your invite, head to blockspaces.com podcast and hit subscribe. In today's episode, we chat with Derek Jennison to walk us through the Lightning Network and why it's changing the game when it comes to transaction fees and settlement times. Keep listening to find out how Lightning helps Bitcoin's scalability issues. It's kind of just like using cash. Why you can make transactions on Lightning for almost $0. And what's preventing more merchants from using Lightning Network with their POS systems. Ready? Here we go. So like I said, this is a new series for us. Um, it's a new format. We think that you'll like it, but um, you know, if you have feedback on how to make things better, you're welcome to drop that in the comments, or you can send me a note at uh, john at blockspaces.com. So with that in mind, let's kick things off. Um, Derek, you knew I was going to start with you. So um, if you don't mind, I didn't really give your intro, intro justice. So if you could just tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself and how you got into Bitcoin and what you're working on today, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and that was a very generous introduction, John. I appreciate that. Um, anyways, my name is Derek Jennison. I am part of the Lightning team here over at Block Spaces, and I work on the uh, our Bitcoin invoicing and payments product, which uses the Lightning Network. And I first heard about Bitcoin all the way back in 2016, 2017, that first bull cycle, right? And I actually came, I feel like everyone that gets into Bitcoin has some type of origin story, right? And mine was actually from investing like the macroeconomic side of say like Ray Dalio. Uh, and that kind of got me intrigued as far as, oh, this is Bitcoin. It's this fixed supply asset, right? It sounds a lot like gold or transferable types of money that that been discussed in the past. And then um, kind of follow up that with, I, I kind of got sucked into the Bitcoin or got orange pilled in, in that era. And then several years later, uh, I had a really fortunate event that happened to me where I had back surgery and I, I couldn't do much or move as much. And I had a lot of free time on my hands. So I took every opportunity to learn about the Lightning Network that was just taken off. And a little shout out to Plebnet uh, community out there. That's, they're the ones that kind of got me into the Lightning Network, uh, got absorbed in it, and then eventually got picked up by Block Spaces to help businesses be able to use the lightning network so and here we are awesome yeah you said if i heard you right you said that was a fortunate event when you hurt your back it was i mean honestly it changed the trajectory of my life in a way right i was formerly in healthcare um in the healthcare industry and by having that injury and already turning my passion and my knowledge and free time I learned uh, so much about the Lightning Network, and, and here we are. So, cool. It all worked well, out. Well, we would never wish any uh, subsequent injuries on you, but uh, <laughs> we're glad you have the expertise. You, right. You, um, you know, we could probably go really, really deep or really technical today, but our goal uh, for this session, at least, is to give everyone a good foundation for Lightning and make sure they've got a good place to start from. So, uh, maybe to help get us one step closer to that, can you give us your working definition of just what the Lightning Network is? Sure. Yeah. So Lightning Network is basically a protocol, you could call it, right? That allows you to send Bitcoin like cash. Like you can send it instantly. It's instantly transferable, instant settlement, and it allows you to scale payments using uh, Bitcoin versus just using regular blockchain payments. Right. So I like to think of uh, sending a normal Bitcoin transaction, almost like sending a wire, like of money that could take 10 minutes to an hour, depending on the, the situation, two hours or even longer versus lightning is instant and you can send small payments that way. So, yeah, so let's unpack that a little bit further. So lightning sure. hasn't been around nearly as long as Bitcoin. So prior to, to lightning and, and or just putting lightning aside, just walk us through a little bit more detail in the mechanics and some of the kind of pros and cons of sending a transaction directly in, in Bitcoin and on the Bitcoin blockchain today. Okay. So if I'm hearing you correctly, compare it to a regular Bitcoin transaction versus lightning, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so 
when you when you send a bitcoin transaction a lot of times that transaction takes time to send you send it it could take uh an hour or two before it gets fully confirmed they say six blocks for confirmation but the issue is is that the blockchain only handles around three to seven transactions per second and we're, if we're talking about a global payment system three to seven transactions per second is not going to handle a global payments uh asset right like you think a visa I've heard anywhere from uh, they can handle from 24,000 to 40,000 transactions per second that's only visa and if we incorporate all the payment systems and you think of how many transactions per second are happening globally the Bitcoin blockchain is very limited it's not made for payments on a global scale right and that's where lightning comes in imagine now you can send an infinite amount of transactions in Lightning, theoretically, right? Without touching the Bitcoin blockchain after these communication channels are set up. Right. And it, I think it's important to, to point out that some of those constraints you mentioned about Bitcoin, um, the, the throughput, the transaction times, those are not bugs or necessarily shortcomings. Those are intentional design decisions that were made for Bitcoin. Is that correct? That is, you can't say any better because, um, you know, the the reason why Bitcoin can only handle, a, a, the blockchain itself can only handle a certain amount of transactions is because the blockchain size, right? The, the amount of data that it can store is very small. And why would you want that, right? So on this computer that I'm talking to you right now, I have the full Bitcoin blockchain downloaded. I can see Satoshi's first Genesis block to the transaction to Hal Finney, which was like the uh, computer scientist that worked with Satoshi Nakamoto, who was a creator of Bitcoin. Okay. So, um, and by having that blockchain so small is that I get to run it on my computer and I get a vote in a system. Now, if you want to scale out the transactions, right, you have to make that data much larger, that blockchain much larger. And the greater that blockchain grows, right, then you have a centralized entity that runs that blockchain because you and I can't run it on our laptops anymore or simple hardware. Now you're talking about data centers, the cloud, it, it could be different things. And then who really controls that blockchain? Well, in Bitcoin, it's the people. It's it's the, really the money of the people. Great. So there's a reason why there's that um, that time for a transaction to clear and for that you know block to be confirmed and all that. So there's that time piece. And there's also a uh, a cost component, a, a fee that's that's present with um, the Bitcoin transactions as well. Can you walk us through um, some of the details of that and why those fees can end up being quite high sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I talked about that the blockchain is very small, right? And the blocks within the blockchain can only hold so much data. And if everyone sends a Bitcoin transaction on the blockchain, what happens is that it, that blockchain couldn't handle the size of all those transactions. So what happens is there's like what they call the mempool or like uh, these blocks where people like, let's say if I want my transaction to be confirmed on the blockchain itself, I'm willing to pay a fee to get it confirmed. And what happens is, is if I want it, if I want my wire, I mean, I told you about it's almost like sending a wire, right? And I want it like to be sent in the next block, I'm willing to pay a higher fee than the next person beside me that's trying to get their transaction put in. So there's this fee market of everyone trying to get their transactions confirmed in the blockchain. And at, recently, just this week, Binance has was consolidating a lot of their addresses. The amount of transactions are waiting to be confirmed is huge. So if you want your transaction to be confirmed you know, within the next hour or two in the blockchain, you're going to have to pay a hefty fee for that. So, And you never know what that fee is going to be because it's an open fee market it can change tomorrow it can change a week from now we don't you know you never know what that the the price range is until you actually go research it and just to put that in context uh, again you said it changes dynamically right so you wouldn't Correct. know ahead of time but just give us some kind of maybe upper and lower bounds of what you've seen over time in terms of that effective transaction fee the, the transaction fee, they do it by data size. So like your transaction is a size of data. So it could be, you know, it could be several thousand sats. And we can talk about that. There's uh, a sat is the smallest unit of a Bitcoin. Um, 
So it could be from dollars to get a, a transaction verified. It can be uh, $50. You know, it could be any range of what that fee market is going in. Sometimes it can be very cheap as well. If not many people are sitting on the blockchain, you can send a very large sum of money for a very cheap cheap fee. But the, the issue is, is time, right? You have to wait for it to get confirmed. And even if you submit that transaction, what happens if 100 thousand people all of a sudden send transactions in and now they're bumping your fee right down to the to the bottom of the, the pool right to get confirmed and then you might have to uh go higher in your fee to, in, to get ahead of them so again this you you never know how that fee market is going to go at one point yeah so a lot of design decisions that make bitcoin secure and distributed and decentralized um uh, we, probably different conversations for us to get into like why Bitcoin and, and why it matters is yeah. a, um, but um, lightning, as we kind of alluded to, it's designed to solve that um, those fees It's designed to solve that settlement time. And this is where the conversation is going to get a little trickier because when you talk about lightning, you've got to start to think about it differently than a typical blockchain and the way a blockchain works. And I remember when I was asking you about it for the first time, I, I was we were talking about, you know, is it a blockchain? Is it not a blockchain? Is it Web three? Is it not Web three? Yeah. And and you you had some very you know clear ways of kind of outlining for that for me. So let's start there. Like, what? How does Lightning Network actually go about providing a payment mechanism that doesn't have the settlement time and that doesn't really have those those high fees that a Bitcoin transaction might? Sure, sure. And and the way I like to think about Lightning and the fee structure is like. Instant settlement is the key feature, right? So it's a value over time, right? So if I'm say, if I want to pay at a store or anything else and I need instant settlement, mm -hmm. I value that time for that transaction to go through instantly, right? Versus sending a wire. No one's going to wait an hour or two hours <laughs> in a grocery store or anywhere else, right? Um, the way the Lightning Network works is that it's like a messaging protocol. Let's say we have four boxes in this group chat right now. I see there are several people involved. Uh, there was Drew, Dana, and John here. And let's say uh, we all have each other's phone numbers, right? And Lightning Network is like a messaging protocol where I can literally send you a text of Bitcoin and it goes to you and you receive it instantly. And we can send messages to one another or unlimited amount of payments to one another without it ever touching the blockchain, okay? And that's the reason why you can send Bitcoin instantly, very quickly throughout to one another without it touching the blockchain and having that uh, restriction uh, of the blockchain itself. And so we we may have people here who have like, say like never made a Bitcoin transaction before. So they may be wondering in the back of their heads, like, okay, so why, what's wrong with my US dollars that lightning solves? Um, what what would you say to that person? Yeah, so you can kind of think of like how the US dollar is spent. So a lot of people use credit cards, debit cards, you know, the financial rails of, of the system. And a lot of times they charge fees to use their services. So you could think of like what merchants are getting charged. You have the credit card payment rails. Uh, there's chargebacks, so there's no guarantee, right? Uh, what's with that transaction settlement? It takes time for those transactions to clear. So if I'm receiving US dollar with a credit card, it takes a while to re receive that dollar into my actual bank account. And then I really don't have the control of which financial institution is, is using is seeing that US dollar come to me as well, right? When I send a lightning payment, say to you, Drew, you were just talking, is that when I send it to you, that Bitcoin is instantly on your side. That means it's instant settlement. There's no chargebacks, right? And then two, it's like you don't have to worry about all those clearing houses, everyone in the middle trying to get their fee, all the middlemen that are trying to get their cut on top of that. It's like you can be your own bank if you like. Yeah, that, that's that's good. I mean, and because uh, uh, the reason, one of the big reasons I asked is because like from a general consumer perspective, um, like card companies like Chase or whoever, um, they sort of abstract away the the problems with US dollar transactions. Like when you make a debit card purchase and you look at your bank account and it reflects right away. 
right? But that's actually not what happens. That there's a lot of slow moving parts to the U.S. dollar system, and so that's yeah, that's that's a that's a really good way of putting the advantage of of lightning over over U.S. dollars. Absolutely, especially especially as a, from a business owner perspective, right? You you're dealing with a lot of fees, like you said. And, and you also got to think of, you know, we're talking about the U.S. dollar, but a lot of people around the world don't have a choice of what currency they can pay with, right? Um, or the monetary policy controlling those currencies as well. So unfortunately, a lot of uh, people around the world, you know, are battling hyperinflation or those kind of things, right? And we know that the code of Bitcoin, because I remember I'm downloaded this full blockchain on my computer. I have a vote in the system. And I know the monetary policy uh, of Bitcoin and it, and it can't be changed because I'm running it as well as thousands of computers around the world that also have a vote as well. So do you yeah, have to, what, what, just to clarify something you said, like when you see something that shows up on like a credit card statement or something from a bank, what they're showing you in those first few moments is kind of the, the end state that they're working towards, but there's really things that are happening behind the scenes and and in reality, that payment hasn't fully settled completely. It, it will get there. They're kind of abstracting that and kind of like moving it up in time to show you what you're expecting to happen. But in reality, that hasn't really worked its way through the system completely. Whereas Lightning, what you're telling us, Derek, it, it truly is. Like when you see a payment come through on your Lightning wallet, it's there. It's irre irrevocable. Like there's no going back. That's as complete as it gets. Absolutely. And then too, like if you're part of those institutions, certain businesses might have issues working with banks as well, right? And this is a way for uh, businesses to receive real money, Bitcoin, right? And and sometimes uh, not have to be always uh, under, uh, and I'm not trying to say to do nefarious things at, at all, but there's certain industries that we know that have had issues with banking before, so... Mm. Digital free speech. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so Derek, the like the concept, okay, you the concept is, you know, instant settlement, very low fees. Let's talk about the user experience. So if say say I've got I'm starting from scratch. I wanna I wanna pay someone, I wanna pay you, Derek, I wanna pay you hundred sats in lightning. Walk me through the process I would need to do and that you would need to do on your end to receive that payment to where we can make that happen. Sure. So currently with the implementation that we have, I can literally just create an invoice, which is a QR code. It could also be like just a string of letters and numbers together, right? And on, it could be a mobile wallet. There's different ways to pay with Lightning. But I, if I wanted to receive Lightning from you, John, I would create that QR code invoice. You just scan it from a Lightning wallet and it goes right through. That that's It's almost the same as the NFC or like the Apple Pay point your phone to a chip or something, right? And it converting a payment, it's just scanning mm -hmm. a QR code as, as simple as that. So even outside of block spaces, if I have a, a, a lightning enabled wallet, say in my on my phone, you've got uh, that that's really all I need. I need to enable that lightning setting to make that payment over that network. Do you need a lightning wallet too? Or is it just me as the sender who needs it? Or is it yeah, so I would need a Lightning-enabled wallet, correct. Now, right. there are certain wallets out there that are great because you can toggle between just regular Bitcoin transactions. Remember, like sending a wire that we talked about earlier? Mm -hmm. Or if I want quick settlement, like I'm receiving cash instantly, right? I can toggle to the Lightning wallet part as well and receive that way. Right. So there's some constrictions, some constraints with Lightning, if I want to send you a million dollars, not that I'm going to, but if I want to send you a million dollars for a great job today, or you know, one Bitcoin, let's say, um, that's no problem to do it on the main Bitcoin Correct. blockchain. If I want to do that with Lightning, though, now I've, there's some considerations I have to keep in mind. Can you walk us through? This might be turn into like a good explanation of like some payment channels and liquidity and how these things sure. work. But there's some constraints there. So walk us through what those constraints are and. Uh, how to maybe get around some of those. Absolutely. So the way, you know, we were talking about sending te text messages to one another, like messaging, right? The issue is, is you got to think of like bandwidth, right? Like how big are those communication channels between me and you and how much data can we send in those channels, right? 
And the way I think about it is, John, for you to send me a million dollars directly between you and I, you would have to open a million dollar communication channel, at least at least that size to me in order to send me a million dollars, right? Um, the issue now is, let's say you want to send it to someone else, but you don't have a direct communication channel to someone, but there's other people that can route that messaging for you, right? Like, so let's say like I have a communication to Drew, um, John, but John, you want to pay Drew, right? But you don't have a channel with with Drew. So, John, you would say, hey, Derek, I want to send you some Bitcoin, but can you route that to Drew for me, right? Now, I have to have a million-dollar communication channel with Drew as well, just to, just to format that. So it's the size of what, I, what we call liquidity within channels or communication channels to one another. And the issue is, is the graph of Lightning Network, all the people that are connected together, a million-dollar size channels could be an issue for payments to, to go through or that communication to, to finally resolve, right? So what the way I look about it is, if I was to send a million dollars, do I need it instantly? Or can I just send a wire, right? But if I wanna send several hundred dollars or even thousands of dollars, if I want it instantly, that can happen on Lightning for sure. Yeah. And, and also so too, go ahead, Drew. I don't wanna, what were you gonna say? No, no, you're... No, I was just going to sort of clarify using the text messaging example that we did earlier, right? So let, yeah. let's do let's do what we said earlier. We're like, I have a channel to you, you have a channel to John, but I want to text John hi. So that's two characters. So you would have to have at least two characters in your channel for me to use your node to text John hi, except we're just texting Bitcoin at this point. Correct. Correct. Okay. And it's definitely more complex than what, what we're right. saying here for sure. <laughs> right. Just uh, trying to bring it down to earth a little bit yeah. yeah so it just depends on the size of those communication channels and how much money or how much bitcoin can flow between um, from one person to another and it gets really complex and right now large payments it's it's really tough for lightning to handle um but the way I, li I like to look at it is that the higher the price bitcoin goes right then the more as far as us dollar amounts can be transacted on lightning so right now, you know, we're we're going through a, a little bit of a low market. It'll go back up for sure. But the thing is, is that let's say if Bitcoin was two hundred thousand dollars per Bitcoin, now we're talking about payments in U.S. dollars can flow very high amounts within Lightning pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So I want to attempt attempt a very another simple analogy. And Derek, it's not a perfect analogy, but yeah, tell me if this holds water. Okay, so when I play Monopoly, right? Yeah. getting my family together, all six of us, I can look in the box and I can see that there's a limited amount of money in circulation in Monopoly. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's right. a Monopoly nerd on the call who can tell us <laughs> how much money comes, but it's it's a fixed amount, right? And so if I, let, let's go back to that million dollars. If I want to, if, if I'm going to buy a boardwalk for you, from you for a million dollars, I can't actually do that in the game. Because there's not enough money. I don't have a way to create a payment channel to you for a million dollars. There'd have to be a way for me to like insert more money into the circulation of the monopoly space. And that's it's kind of what you're getting at with Lightning, if I'm hearing you correctly. Like we have we might have a payment channel set up or there might be payment channels within the, the space that'll allow us to track um, transfer small amounts. But if I actually want to send more money, I have to find a way to get money off of the the Bitcoin blockchain and move that into the Lightning Network. And I know that's not a complete example, but to what degree does that kind of illustrate some of the the way payment channels work within the space? Yeah. So that's that's a great way of thinking about it. So the way those those payment channels or those communication channels, I I like to think of it as just sending Bitcoin almost as like messages, is that mm -hmm. yes, you have to open those channels from a bitcoin blockchain transaction right but what but once you set those up like once you start bringing bitcoin from regular bitcoin blockchain transactions into lightning network and those channels are open you can send an unlimited amount of channels back and forth or routing through the system right mm -hmm. so yeah they are funded from what we like to call on-chain transactions when i say on-chain i mean from the bitcoin blockchain so if we're doing uh, a bitcoin blockchain or on-chain transaction, that's how you open up those channels. Again, once they're open though, 
you can send an unlimited amount of payments through if the liquidity is in the right spot. But that that's I don't want to get too complex. But yes, well, you, you know, we don't have to get into the complexities, but it's important to know that they're there because without kind of un knowing some of these deeper layers of lightning, one might be led to believe that you could begin using lightning at scale or for larger transactions. And so you might get a consumer wallet and maybe you want to try to use it for a business or one other, another use case. And you'd probably start seeing that transactions would, um, they, they wouldn't process, they, they would fail. And you wouldn't know the reason why you wouldn't know what to do about it. Um, you would, if you started Googling into like liquidity management, you get into some very kind of technical subjects that, you know, frankly, few people understand at this point. So um, can you give us kind of just a high level overview of what you're doing to manage liquidity and remove some of those constraints? Because there are businesses, we happen to be one of them who are trying to help businesses and, and users use Lightning at scale, but it's it's not something that most people could really address themselves. So just kind of walk us through like how you get around some of those constraints. Yeah, so... Some of the hardest uh, things on the Lightning Network is the ability to receive payments, right? So I think if I'm a merchant and and I'm selling product, whatever, and and someone wants to pay me in Bitcoin via Lightning, it's not as simple as, oh, they just pay you and it goes through. Uh, you have to have someone that has one of those communication channels targeted towards you, first of all, to receive. So you can receive those messages. And not only that, if someone opens that communication channel to you, that means that they use their own Bitcoin to open a channel to you. So now you have to convince someone else to use their own capital to, to send those messages to you throughout payments. And it's not as simple as like, oh, here's my Lightning wallet. I created a QR invoice, pay me. It doesn't work like that. So there's a lot of complexities for businesses to not only receive, but also pay out of their lightning wallet as well. And here at Blockspace is what we've created is kind of like a plug and play system, right? As a business, if I wanna be able to receive uh, in lightning or pay in lightning, you literally tap into the Blockspace's system, right? And it's a hands-off approach that we facilitate so that businesses can start receiving or paying in Bitcoin via lightning. Cool. And, um, you know, we're, Thank you for walking us through that. Obviously, we're not here to go pitch pitch our products, but yep. you, you did mention like an aspect of that that I think points to some questions you know Drew wanted to to bring up before we started the webinar. So what you talked about, it's a non-custodial solution, and I, I think it's important. Maybe Drew, you can elaborate on this that like Lightning, it's not in in general, it's not a custodial solution itself. It's it's not. Um, a protocol. It's not a centralized exchange where your money is in the hands of, of another party. Um, Drew, can you kind of walk through some of the, the questions and thoughts you had that can kind of, you know, help the, help the audience just unpack that a little bit further? Yeah. I mean, custodial versus non-custodial is a, is kind of a big deal in this whole space, um, especially given current events. I mean, Derek, you mentioned yeah. earlier what, you know, markets being kind of down, um, and so people have a lot of concerns, but, you know, and it seems like every time Bitcoin has a surge in price every few years, something like, you know, and we would be remiss to leave out the FTX situation happening now, right? So, but it, it seems like something like this happens every few years, and yet Bitcoin always seems to come out on top no matter what. Um, so, so, so Derek, would you mind walking us through like the importance of having a non-custodial anything wallet service whatever and and what are the reasons why like someone who was looking at this current news situation wondering if they should even get into the space or even bother um why why should they trust in bitcoin over despite everything else that's happened yeah absolutely so there's there's a whole saying in bitcoin um not your keys not your coin and what does that mean right and not your keys, not your coin. What that really means is that you have a password practically that proves that you own the Bitcoin in your wallets and that you have ownership of it. And as long as no one else has that password, um, you own it. There's no one that can hack it. There's no one that can get access to your Bitcoin. 
And a lot of services out there are what's called custodial services, where you're trusting someone else to hold your own Bitcoin. Well, how do you know that they actually have that Bitcoin? And that it's just not on your their app that's saying, hey, we promise you that this is your Bitcoin, <laughs> right? They're promising you that. And the FTX situation is kind of proving that an example where there was a lot of promises, promises being made. And I'm going to say allegedly, because I don't know all the details, but it, it's right, where right. the prom promises were being made and come to find out they didn't have it. But yet those people were paying money saying they thought they actually own an asset, right? And also, too, is that if you have a centralized or custodial service that holds that seed phrase or that password to your Bitcoin, if they go bankrupt, there is no guarantee that you'll get your assets back. They could go to creditors. They could go to the people that, you know, they have debt with. So what's great about like having uh, a, a ownership of that as a business and providing a non-custodial non solution is that business owners have control and ownership of their own Bitcoin. So you know when that Bitcoin goes directly to you instantly that you have full control, not a business, not block space, there's no one else. It's it's the business owner themselves. Yeah, that's that's a great explanation. And that's and that that's sort of the core ethos of of the space in general. Um non-custodial, I mean a too fine a point can't be put on it, right? Uh, non-custodial is the biggest thing that is the biggest decision you can make getting into the space and so um bitcoin has the i think at least the best means right to yeah absolutely yeah. And, and if anything this cycle you know what we call in the crypto space and all the things that are in the news should tell you that having non-custodial like solutions is the most important thing again not your keys not your coin right not your bitcoin right so. right do you, would you have any non-custodial um, wallets you could recommend to anyone who's just wanting to try their hand at this stuff or someone who maybe has all their stuff sitting at Coinbase right now and they don't know what to do? Uh, where, where, would, where would you recommend? Yeah, it and it depends on, on you know, how much that is, right? Because, mm -hmm. you Always. know, mm -hmm. I, I don't want a lot of Bitcoin on my phone. Because if someone does has access to your phone, even if you have your seed phrase, if they can get into your wallet somehow, right, they could still spin out of it. Um, so it, I like the thing, what we call cold storage or like hardware wallets. Some of them look like USB sticks or like little hardware devices. And you can hold on limited. Yep, there you go. Is that a ledger? Yep, I can't I tell. It. That's a ledger nano. Yep. There you go. I mean, you can hold a billion dollars on that thing right now, right? And no problem. Mm -hmm. um, but would I want that on my phone? No, absolutely not. Uh, but I like to think of like my lightning wallet sometimes as uh, as kind of like having my personal wallet on me. I like to keep small amounts like spinnable, right? And then like the wallet that you showed Drew is kind of more like of a, a larger amount, right? Um, Trezor, I love Trezor for like large amounts. Cold card as well if you're doing Bitcoin only. Uh, and then if you're doing like lightning, there's some like you you have uh, the Phoenix wallet, which is great. Blix wallet. There are some custodial lightning wallets, too. Um, again, you're trusting them. So I, I just want to throw that out there. But if you happen to use a, a cash app, even has their own lightning implementation now and wallet Satoshi as well. Great. Cool. That yeah, kind of reminds me of. Yeah, Go that kind of reminds me of like some really fundamental questions that um, are, are important for people to know. I, I didn't intuit these when you first started teaching me about Lightning, Derek, but so really clear one, who's developing Light, Lightning Network? It's not us, right? We didn't develop Lightning Network. Who's developing the protocol, this, this framework? Yeah. So there's different implementations of Lightning out there, right? There's like a base protocol that Everyone kind of agrees on right now uh, what, what's going on. I mean, what's what's in action right now is what everyone agrees on, but there's different implementations of that protocol, right? So right now we have things called like Core Lightning, which is one implementation from people from Blockstream and different organizations. Some of these devs are sponsored as well, meaning they're not like contracted by, so well, they're under contract, but they're not really under like a corporation. Uh, mm -hmm. Lightning Labs is another one that works on LND. LND is probably the, the largest implementation of Lightning right now. But a lot of these 
a lot of the stuff that happens at Lightning is grassroots, and and Plebnet is definitely uh, Plebnet is an awesome Telegram community. They're also online, and they really, I think, everyone at Lightning owes them a, a huge piece of gratitude because without them, I, I'm not sure if we get to the level of where Lightning is today. And there's a lot of independent Lightning uh, operators. I was including one of one of those, right? And they all, as and you don't even know who some of these people are, but as a uh, a grassroots movement, it's gotten lightning to now where it's at enterprise level, and it's really awesome to see that not one company, right, took ownership mm-hmm. of that, but it was again a system of people. So yeah, so just to be super clear, if you use light, if you're using lightning, it that's not a, a product from a specific company. It doesn't mean that you are putting your coins um, on an exchange. Um, it's not necessarily within somebody else's custody. Um, this isn't something that, uh, yeah, it, again, it's not like a, a, a thing that one company owns and is put to market and you can pay to use. It's a, it's a protocol um, of which there are a few different implementations. So exactly, I, I like to be super clear on that because it's so easy to, to assume that this is like, this is just another Coinbase or an FTX or a or whoever, right. but it's 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 truly different from that. Absolutely, that's that's a great way of thinking about it. Like it, it's like like Block Spaces doesn't own Lightning Network. There's no business that owns Lightning Network. It's an open protocol that people can build on top of. Right. So yes. if I if I try to make a payment to you, um, and it and it fails, that doesn't mean that I lost that money, right? Does it's not it's not under custody of some third party that if that payment goes through, tell me what happens, or sorry, if that payment doesn't go through, tell me what happens if there's consequences to that. Absolutely. So like if, if for some reason, those communication channels are not the right size or at the right locations, right? Payments can fail on Lightning mm-hmm. Network, right? And that's where it's complex. But if it does fail, if I try to send you a payment, John, and it fails, it's not like that it just goes in outer space or it just gets lost or anything else, right? Or that you received it, but somehow you got more money than I shouldn't, right? The protocol level is that when a payment fails, that money goes right back to me. It's it's just, it's all or nothing. So if a payment is successful, then it goes through. If it doesn't, then it's back in my possession. And the Lightning Network has different layers of um, ownership, meaning you, there are custodial solutions there for people that want to have a custodial solution. They feel more comfortable with someone else at first, right? And there's non-custodial solutions too. So I just want to throw that out there that there are different la- layers of that. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. So that covered a lot of ground. We could we could probably, you know, do this conversation two or three times over and still not <laughs> unpack all about Lightning. But uh, Dana, I think we had a couple of questions come through. Do you want to? start uh, sharing those with us? Yeah, absolutely. So Derek, for you, the first question is from Richard and he wants to know if it's possible to pay someone when their nodes are offline. That's a great question. Um, As far as I'm aware, if someone's offline, there's no way to send a payment. Now, my engineers here at Blackspace and our engineers here on Light Team might have some fringe case of where that that could happen, but it, as far as I'm aware, that if if someone's node is offline, and you're trying to send to that node directly, then yes, that payment would fail. Gotcha. And, w- and just to clarify that a little bit, so you, if you're an everyday consumer, and you want to receive a payment in Lightning, you are not necessarily responsible. You don't have to spin up a Lightning node yourself and manage all that. You could, if you're inclined. But that's typically like if you're going to use, say, Wallet of Satoshi, they have a node that that they are operating. And that's the node that you're referring to, right, Derek? It's not necessarily like something that you as an individual would need to maintain and keep right. online. And I think what the confusing part is the word nodes for some people, what is a node? Is, is that all a node is, is just a computer that's running the same software as other Lightning Network person as well. We're all running the same Lightning Network software. It's just that my computer... Like the text message that we're saying, it's like my node is like my cell phone that's running the the, the software, right? And we're doing the communication channels back and forth. Uh, but yes, the wallet Satoshi, like if you use our Lightning wallet, you're basically like using their cell phone <laughs> to send out messages and receive, right? 
the issue is though is that you don't have your seed phrase if you use their services. A lot of people use Wallet Satoshi. There's nothing wrong with that. Just know that it's a custodial solution, that you're not in full control. So in case something does happen to them, then your Bitcoin could be in jeopardy. Um, but they've they've been they've had a successful business operation and, and so far so good. Mm -hmm. Cool. Great. So if you've got questions for us, for Derek, something we can clarify, something that you know we can um, go into more detail on. Um, just a reminder, drop those in the chat. We'll get through those as, as they come through. Um, Dana, what what else do we have lined up? So far. Yeah, we have another question from Richard. He's sending some good ones in. Um, we talked about fees a bit in the beginning, and he would like to know who sets the fees and if the fees come from miners. Well, it depends if we're talking about like the regular blockchain versus the, uh, the also on Lightning, right? So there's two different fee structures here. And in, in the blockchain, you do pay miners fees to get your, your transaction married. That's a, a wire. And it can take time to get it in the blockchain. So you, there is a fee market that say, hey, I want my transaction to get into the next block, right? So you do pay miners those fees. On the Lightning Network, though, it, if you don't have a direct channel with someone, right? But I know how to get to, I know how to send my payment to the endpoint, the last person, right? Or who I want to go to. But there's other people that might have to route your payments to get to that in person, right? they will charge you a fee to route your payment. And that's the, the incentive to route payments on the Lightning Network is you're routing other people's payments to get to their final destination, right? And that's how the fee structure works. You can send a reliable payment for a fraction of 1%. I mean, you're talking about very cheap, right? But the technicality of that is very tough. Um, so the way I like to think about Lightning is that you want reliable transactions, right? Below fees, and and uh, that's what you're paying for practically. Great. We also, it's not a question, but we did have a compliment for you, Derek. Um, just saying thank you for speaking on this, um, and that you explained it so a novice and someone who is technical would be able to understand. So shout out to you, Derek. All right. <laughs> thank well, you, Derek. You didn't speak to this at length in your own background, but you actually um, have some experience in accounting and I know you've presented to accountants. Yeah. And yeah. so um, I don't know if we have any accountants listening now or, you know, later when we publish this, but if I'm maybe a business owner or an accountant, or maybe I'm keeping the books for a company, are there any, like, what considerations do I need to keep in mind if I'm um, using Bitcoin in general? And if I'm using lightning specifically, do I need to treat anything differently if I'm using Lightning versus making transactions in Bitcoin directly? I, I feel like Bitcoin transactions on the blockchain are very simple, uh, more simple to uh, uh, to track and trace as far as the, the payments costs and everything else. Lightning, it kind of, it can get a lot more complex, especially if you're doing your own like node and you're trying to run everything um, by yourself, right? And the cost basis of when that transaction was sent to, you know, whether it's to US dollar or any other currency, because, you know, Bitcoin is just not in the US, you could do cross border payments, right? And depends on what currency that you're, you want it to be in, if it's US dollar or anything else. So cost basis, the time and transactions, and the Lightning has a like five or six different categories. I don't want to get too in detail of how accounting metrics work because of how those payment rails are set up, how the fees are paid and everything else. So if, if, if I'm an accountant, I would want all of that in one location, right? To be uh, logged some way, all, all in one, one spot. A lot of accountants right now have to mainly go into their Bitcoin wallets for businesses to reconcile payments, to look at like when those transactions went through, what when that time, of transaction occurred and also the cost basis of, of that transaction. Mm -hmm. And and it it's just worth maybe reiterating that when those when you do receive a payment within Lightning, it doesn't, it's still there in your white lightning wallet. It's not on the Bitcoin blockchain. It's certainly not in USD. And so you might receive um, you know, 10,000 sats, and that's worth so many US dollars. But depending on when you choose to 
move that transaction into USD if, if that's how you're you know keeping track of cost basis and gains and losses. That might fluctuate in the in the gap between when you receive that payment and when you convert it to another currency, just like you would if you know euros or yen or any other currency. Right. Like there's that fluctuation. So another thing to keep in mind. Exactly. That's perfectly said. Drew, I know you, you, you spend a lot of time with uh, accountants and, and people who are actually using this in practice. Is there anything, you know, you've seen or questions that, that have come up in that process that, um, you know, you feel we haven't covered today? Um, no, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like you pretty much covered it, um, right there. I mean, Bitcoin seems to, especially over lightning, I mean, it, it does come with its own set of challenges, let's say, um, but it also seems to solve quite a bit of problems. All, all the benefits we, men we mentioned earlier, um, instant settlement, um, very low fees. So, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like this, the subject of Lightning Network, generally speaking, is applicable to both like a CEO kind of persona and as well as an accountant kind of persona, like a CFO mm -hmm. even kind of persona. Um, there's, there's definite advantages We'll, we'll give folks just a couple more minutes to ask questions um, if they come up. I want to ask you another one, Derek. I've asked you this before, but it was, it was on my mind. And I think my, my dad actually asked me this once and I didn't have an answer for him. So I'm like, I've got I've to gotta ask Derek. <laughs> Hopefully um, I have an answer for you. <laughs> uh, so just to play devil's advocate. So if I, make, if I send you a payment on Venmo or PayPal, the fees, at least... Um, in some respects are, are minimal or zero and that, that I get a confirmation pretty quickly. So how is that different? Why wouldn't I use that over saying using lightning for a business? Oh man, I wish your dad was here right now. <laughs> uh, I would more than happy to answer this. So what you explained, the Venmos, PayPals, the, those applications, right, are what we call closed financial systems. Meaning, John, if you had like a PayPal account and I had a uh, different cash account like Venmo or something else. A lot of times those applications can't send payments to one another. You, you are locked into their system, meaning you have to be a user of those systems to transact with one another. And that's what makes it closed. So if you're talking about like Venmo and PayPal, that could be just limited to the US. That could be just limited to the Europe. I'm not sure where else that you know they, they're able to use those applications. But even in India, they have different like payment applications, right? The great thing about Bitcoin and the Lightning protocol, we were mentioning about wallets earlier, right? A Lightning invoice is a Lightning invoice, meaning no matter what application I use to send you that invoice to pay me, John, you can use any Lightning wallet, any Lightning that's using that Lightning protocol to send that payment. It's an open network. There's no closed financial networks in that, in that instance. So if I'm in New Zealand or in Antarctica, and I send you a lightning invoice, you can be anywhere around the world using a lightning application and send me that payment. So there's a, it's a true categorical difference between uh, that. Absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there's to, to have that openness where it doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, um, what country you're in, what, it, oh, I would say what currency, right. But it's Bitcoin, right. I just want to throw it out there. That's what makes it global and it's an open network. Mm -hmm. Sure. And we've been talking about Bitcoin pretty much this whole conversation. Last, last question I've got for you before I think we're probably out of time, but there's some other developments that are underway to where other uh, cryptocurrencies can be exchanged and transacted over the Lightning Network. Can you just speak to that real quickly? Yeah. So there's an interesting uh, protocol being developed called the Taro protocol from Lightning Labs. And what what this instance is, we were talking about this communication channels that, that has Bitcoin in them, right? And it's like sending Bitcoin back and forth. And the way I like to think about Lightning Network is those channels is like the financial fabric, right? Like a, of the system where payments can go through from one place to another. And what's interesting about the Tara protocol is that now you can put other assets off of Bitcoin like on the Lightning Network, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, and then transact those assets using Bitcoin as the rails, that fabric of Bitcoin, right? As a global financial network, you can send different assets from one user to another. And you can start thinking of like stable coins, US dollars now, 
right? And different currencies, but still using Bitcoin as the financial rails. Now, why is that important? Again, open 365, 24 seven, there's no banking hours. You're still talking about final settlement, right? All those positives that we mentioned about the Lightning Network prior, that, that's, still, that's still enabled with, with these assets. And I, I would assume um, the, the Tara protocol, uh, some of the engineers here at Block Spaces might have an answer, but I would think Q2 next year, potentially if I had a, a crystal ball, maybe you'll start seeing more of that being used. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks. That and, might be a good um, topic for a future conversation. So yeah, thanks for the update there. We're, we're about out of time. So I, that uh, that hour flew by. We uh, We covered a lot of ground. We could probably, like I said a moment ago, do a, a few discussions like this to really kind of flesh out the details of Lightning Network. But I think this gives us a great foundation um, for the for the idea and for the concept. So thanks for walking us through that, Derek. Um, yeah, thank you. Just to, yeah. Just a uh, quick update on our end. If you guys aren't familiar with us at Block Spaces, um, you know we build solutions that help businesses integrate with uh, with Bitcoin, with blockchain, with Web3 protocols. Uh, like the Lightning Network, um, as part of that. So um, we uh, we actually just launched an integration with QuickBooks. Um, it allows you to reconcile Bitcoin transactions directly um, in your accounting software without manual entry or um, you know opportunity for uh, uh, you know data error uh, when you do that manual work. Um, and it runs on the Lightning Network, of course. So that's it's uh, insulin settlement and low fees, like we talked about. So if that's something you'd like to learn about. Um, you can, you know, find out more information that are at, uh, at blockspaces.com. So um, that's, uh, that's it from our end, Derek. Thanks again for being with, with us here, uh, Drew and Dana. Appreciate you guys and uh, everyone who attended. It was uh, great to see you all here and uh, hope this was helpful and, uh, and informative. So like I mentioned earlier, we're planning to do these uh, sessions every couple of weeks. So stay tuned for more updates on that. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Wish we had another hour. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Blockspaces Live. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen. And if this show helped you on your path to building with blockchain, then we'd be thrilled if you left us a review while you're there. And remember, to join our live recordings, just head to blockspaces.com slash podcast. Put in your email and we'll send you an invite. See you next time.